This is the Victory Podcast. Every week, we'll share an inspiring message about God's grace and forgiveness for you, wherever you're at in life. Your victory starts now. Let's open our time together in prayer, all right? Lord God, as as we come to you today, what we need with everything going on is we need you to speak to us. We need your wisdom. And so, Lord, we ask that, that we would listen to you, that you would have us be in awe of you. Lord, we thank you for loving us unconditionally, no matter who we are. Lord, use this time together to transform our hearts and lives and to make us more like you. We pray this in the powerful and saving name of Jesus. Amen. In this stay-at-home season, have you been making or creating thing, anything at home? For example, on social media, I've seen that a number of you are hard at work. Some of your lawns are already immaculate. You've done some amazing landscaping. Looks great. Two, from seeing posts on, online and things like that, I see that a number of you are doing projects around the house, maybe some, some do-it-yourself projects, some woodworking and, and things like that. You guys are great, unreal, fantastic. And, and two, the other thing that I've noticed online is some of you are making some amazing creations in your kitchen. Oh man, it looks so good, you know? When I create something in the kitchen, you know, it's, it's usually a mess. Yeah, you can just ask Jackie, right? And I just want you to know, too, that God is in the creating business, all right? He is not a megalomaniac or anything like that at all. But when he looked over all of creation, he just said the truth. You know, he said, it's very good. And our God is so good to us. He allows us to enjoy his creation. Today, we're beginning a new series called, Who Told You That? What we're going to do is we're going to look at some of the misunderstandings uh, about Christianity. What we're going to look at are some things that people have come to associate with Christianity, but it's really not what the Bible says at all. And so today, we're going to start this series off with this, Who Told You That? Science Disproves God. And as we go back into that realm where where science was really taking off and they were making a lot of progress and they were discovering one thing after another, what we're going to find out is, is that this whole science versus Christianity thing, it's a battle that never needed to be fought. See, from like the 13th century to the 18th century, Virtually all the major scientists talked about their work in religious terms. Now, I'm going to list off a a few science guys and and things and see if you recognize some of them from from your learning. There's Occam and Occam's razor. You remember that? Just kind of boil down things to the easiest degree. Uh, There was Copernicus. Maybe you remember him, right? He's the guy who said, well, actually, guys, uh, the sun doesn't revolve around the earth. Uh, The earth revolves around the sun. There's Kepler and his three laws of planetary motion. There's Calvin and the absolute zero, you know, the absolute coldest that it can possibly be. 
There's Blaise Pascal and Pascal's law, that law that dealt with liquid pressure. And then, you know, too, there's another guy like Robert Boyle, right? The father of chemistry. Those guys all made major foundational discoveries in the realm of science. But maybe what you didn't know is that all those scientists were Christian. Yeah. Blaise Pascal was a defender of the faith. He would go out and debate people about Christianity. One of the things he said is the only way we can really know God is through Jesus Christ. You know, and then Boyle, that father of chemistry, he supported what were known as the Boyle Lectures. And that's where these, these testimonies, these papers were given on Jesus Christ and trying to share Jesus with the world. Again, see, I don't know about you, but if you're like me, you were never told that these guys were Christian. Okay. In fact, you, if you were like me, you were given the impression that these guys didn't believe in God in the first place. You know, any number of major scientists today are Christian as well. Probably the, the low-hanging fruit on this is Francis Collins. Francis Collins is the PhD geneticist uh, that is the head of the Human Genome Project. Okay, And not only is he the head of the Human Genome Project, but Collins is also the founder of the BIOS Foundation, the BioLogos Foundation. And that foundation is all about creating discourse between Christianity and science. Here is what Collins has said. Science and faith can actually be mutually enriching and complementary once their proper domains are understood and respected. Real science and real Christianity are real close. Steve Thompson, one of our, our members here at Victory, I reached out to him to, to get some ideas and some thoughts about this message. And this is one of the things that Steve shared with me. He said, I imagine that God is pleased when people, as people apply their God-given curiosity and intelligence to uncover the secrets of his creation. You see, between science and, and Christianity, it's really a battle that never needed to be fought. But there is a battle now to be fought. Okay, and, and it's a battle not about real science and, and real Christianity. We're going to look at a, a couple of things, one just briefly and another one we'll spend a little bit more time on, but both are important. The first one is, is Christians have often spoken things in the name of God that are not in the Bible. Okay, don't do that. That's not helpful, all right? It's not helpful to people who are Christian, and it's not helpful for people who are not. So, for example, if we go back to Copernicus, and, you know, some, some inside the Christian church were having a fit about, I want you to know, the Bible never said that the world was geocentric, all right? Uh, some parts of Christianity had a problem with that. Others didn't have a problem at all. But again, it's not in the Bible, so don't say it's in the Bible. 
The other thing that we're going to spend a, a little bit more time on uh, is, again, the problem is not with the foundation of science or the foundation of Christianity, but with the philosophy that came out of the age of enlightenment. The, the age of, of philosophy, or the philosophy that came out of the age of enlightenment, what it was talking about is, is human rationality and, and that we can conquer everything through our knowledge and we can get freedom and happiness and we can have toleration, which really is just a parody of love, okay? And so as we look back at this, you know, and the age of enlightenment, if you just think about that, if I told you I was an enlightened individual, you know, I think you might push back on that a little bit and go, really? How, how do you know? You know, and so as we look back at the age of enlightenment, and they thought they were so smart and, and they made some great discoveries and all these things. But, you know, this whole conquest of knowledge and happiness and freedom and, and toleration and stuff, you know, it, it didn't begin in the age of enlightenment. It actually began a long, long time ago, okay, a long time ago, uh, in a garden, okay? And I'm going to share a, a story with you. I'm just going to jump in kind of to the middle of it. And it says this in Genesis 3, did God really say, you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say, you must not eat fruit from the tree that's in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. The philosophy of, that came out of the age of enlightenment and Eve, really, they bought into and bit into the exact same fruit of self-reliance. And one of the results of that is what we find in the book of Romans chapter 1. And it says this, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness, since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. So, you know, just to this point, what it means, like, great job, building the house. I couldn't do that. Amazing work on the skyscraper, those structures that soar high into the, into the sky. But how about making a mountain or a river or an ocean from scratch with absolutely nothing? Romans 1 goes on. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. 
So as we kind of look through those verses, right, there were five things going on. Um, and then first one, suppressing the truth. Suppressing the truth. Knowledge that is plain to see. Invisible qualities clearly seen. They knew God, but they exchanged the glory of God for something less. Okay? They exchanged the glory of God for something less. Think about having a, a big floodlight, okay? Bright, brilliant, and exchanging it for a one-watt bulb. The result of this philosophy, this way of life, is humanism and secularism. Humanism says, I'm first. It's all about me. I don't need you, God. Um, so you can just kind of stay off to the side, all right? Secularism doesn't even have a place for God at the table, all right? Both of them displace God. Now, some scientists, not all, some scientists are humanists and secularists, just as some people are too, humanists and secularists. Again, you see, the, the issue isn't with science, it's with the philosophy, okay, from the age of enlightenment. So I just want to share with you a, a little illustration here. I've got a, a, a picture here, and the, and the picture is to represent you and me. And, and, and all people, a lot of times what we do is we fill ourselves with, with things like knowledge through books and reading, different things like that. We, we make our, ourselves about sports and accomplishments and recreation and, and different things like that. But, you know, it really doesn't fill us up, right? There's, there's room in there. It's not, it doesn't fill us up. What fills us up is the glory of God. Okay, and we were made in the image of God. We need that glory of God. Okay, that's what fills us up. That's what makes us whole. As we think about it, the, the philosophy that came out of the age of enlightenment, it has no script or story for when there's a crisis. The only thing that can happen with that philosophy that came out of the age of enlightenment when there is a crisis is to have fear and panic. You see what I'm talking about? It's always been the case. It's just highlighted more now than in the past. See, the problem with that philosophy that came out of the age of enlightenment is it didn't have as its catalyst love. So here's not just knowledge. Here's not just happiness. Here's not just freedom. Here's not just toleration. Here is the truth. 1 John 4, 8 says, clearly, God is love. You see, when it comes between science and, and Christianity, it's, it's a battle that never needed to be fought. It's a battle that, that must be fought. And it's a battle that is only won by love. N.T. Wright, a, a theologian of our day, says this. The more we realize just how mysterious the world is, just how puzzling justice and beauty and love are, 
the more we should delight in seeing the puzzles and paradoxes rushing together in the story of Jesus and supremely in his death and resurrection. It's a love story. Friends, God pours out his love on you and me. It's his love story with us. And he wants us to share that love, that that glory of God image, that love that we find in the gospel with other people. Romans 1 says this, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. See, the the good news is based on the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. That's God's love story for us. See, God loves all people, whether they believe in him or not, whether they love him or hate him. When I was at the chapel, one of the things we would do is, it's kind of coming popular here now too, is, is chalking sidewalks. One of the things we, we chalked outside our building on the sidewalk where the students walked by was, you may not believe in God, but he believes in you. Again, in the book of Romans, it talks about God's love for all people, you and me included in this. It says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners... Christ died for us. So if you want to have knowledge, what you need is love. And as you pursue love and find out about love, you're going to find love in its deepest, most special way, not only at the cross, but on the cross with Jesus. See, Science tells us that laminin, is an adhesion molecule, okay? Uh, laminin is this molecule that, that sticks all of our cells together. With all, without laminin, we just fall apart. In a, in a textbook picture, laminin looks just like a cross, okay? Jesus holds us together. Under a microscope, laminin looks more like this, okay? Not so much maybe like a cross, but maybe a whole lot more like Jesus on the cross. It's just an illustration, but Jesus and his love is what holds us all together. What does love look like today? In in the middle of this pandemic, what does love look like today? It, It looks like putting others first, ahead of us. It looks like serving other people joyfully. People that look like us, act like us, think like us, uh, you know, believe like us. And, all those. and it also means serving joyfully those people who don't act like us, look like us, think like us, believe like us, have the same political party, have the same thoughts on the pandemic. It serves joyfully. What's others first? What does love look like? It looks like praying for others, including those who are different from us. Praying for the best 
for them, the best for them, physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. And you know, you can do that maybe in your quiet time. You can do that maybe on your walk or a bike ride or on your way to grocery store to pick up groceries. Love. Love looks like something. For, for some of us today, I've seen some amazing, very encouraging pictures, chalked pictures and driveways and sidewalks with some inspiring messages and some, some Bible messages and, and things like that. That's what love looks like. In the middle of a pandemic, that's what it looks like. For, for some of you, you're really gifted in, in music. You can play instruments or you can sing. Well, do that on your porch. Do that and record it on, on Facebook. I've seen an, a number of you do that. That's a, a way that you show and share your love at this time. Jackie is an amazing sower, okay? And so one of the ways... She's showing her love today is by sewing masks for our healthcare professionals, for our public safety officers, and for the general public. Just use whatever gift you have to share your love, to share God's love. Because you see, we're, we're living in a time where there didn't need to be a battle, but there is a battle now that, that's being fought, but it's a battle that's won by the love of Jesus. May God lead you and me to share and express that love of Jesus that he's poured out onto us. May we pour it out onto others. Because here's the thing, love wins. Let's pray. Lord God, as, as we consider our, our day and our time, our, our culture, our, our setting in history, sometimes what we, we find out is we've allowed different things to influence us without us knowing about it. And sometimes what that's meant is that we've become hostile toward others. Uh, we've become angry. That, that goes beyond righteous anger. Lord, forgive us for all of our sins. Draw us to that sticky adhesion of your love on the cross, Jesus, and permeate every thought, every word, every action with your love. Jesus, you showed us on Easter Sunday that love wins. We pray this all in your name, Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Victory Podcast, brought to you by Victory of the Lamb in Franklin, Wisconsin. For video sermon archives, more information about us, and to let us know how we can meet you where you're at, go to victoryofthelamb.com.